Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi there. My name is Jenny Rooney, Chief Experience Officer and host of Adweek's newest podcast, Marketing Vanguard. We're so excited to bring you the next evolution of CMO Moves by bringing you insightful content from our marketing community. Together, we'll dive into discussions with CMOs and other C-suite executives who are tasked daily with making decisions that in incremental or monumental ways move the needle for their brands, their companies, and the customers they serve. In each episode, we'll focus on one key idea or decision, why they made it, what it caused, whether it worked, the ripples it set forth, and how it has defined the person as a business leader. We also address missteps, poor choices, and gambles, as mistakes, of course, often yield the greatest knowledge. In addition, we'll ask each guest to share the names of people they rely on daily, as well as a recommendation for whom we should interview next. Joey Bergstein, thanks so much for joining me. I'm thrilled to have this conversation with you today on Marketing Vanguard, so thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you, Jenny. So you're the CEO of Sabra, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, but we are a big household user of that, and you I are. just absolutely love love the Hummus products and everything else um, under great. your brand. I'm thrilled you're here today, on, specifically on Marketing Vanguard, because um, in this podcast, I love to talk with leading CMOs, but also that unique cohort of CEO who has come up through the CMO role. And I know you have such an extensive story to tell around your marketing background, your marketing expertise. And I'd love to get into that today and talk to you a little bit about what from your um, CMO leadership experience you're bringing into your CEO role and how that's so uniquely different, I think, for CMOs, I'm sorry, for CEOs who have that experience and have that mindset around marketing and consumer understanding and creativity that I think is just so vital right now um, for leadership in general. At companies, so we'll get into that. But my my first question is, um, why don't you just start by telling everybody a little bit about that journey, a little bit about that path? Um, I know you're at Seventh Generation before this, for example, but let's talk about uh, what got you to this place. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, my my career followed a um, a I don't know if I would call it winding or or straight trajectory, but I spent uh, first ten years of my career at Procter and Gamble. Um, working, starting in Toronto. I worked in Paris for a couple of years. We were in London for about four years and then in Cincinnati. That's a, such an incredible training ground. I mean, it's just such a rich history of, of talent, marketing talent development. I, I learned so much over those those first 10 years. Um, 
and they, they came to serve me really well um, about 10 years later um, again. Um, but my first 10 years was with P&G. I then made a move into beverage alcohol. I was working at Molson for a couple of years in Canada and then about eight years at Diageo, um, leading for most of that time there, uh, the global rum business, uh, which was, was a huge amount of fun. And then I had this amazing opportunity to make a move to seventh generation um, at a time where the business was still relatively small, um, great brand, tons of potential, but really being um, purchased by a relatively small cohort of, uh, of people. And it was a really neat opportunity to take everything that I learned in my time at P&G about all the different categories that Seventh Generation also competed in, um, as well as uh, what I learned while I was working in beverage alcohol about the importance of storytelling and of how a brand's values um, can be so pivotal to, um, to making that purchase decision. And Seventh Generation was in a really interesting place to be able to put to those two things together. Because, again, you know, we competed in the categories that Procter & Gamble competes in, but people buy that brand for, um, for what it stands for, for its values and for what it says about you when you, when you make that kind of a purchase. Um, I always tell the story that about six months after I joined Seventh Generation, I was speaking at a conference and um, somebody put their hand up at the end of the talk and said, I just want to tell you. I've been using seventh generation for long before it ever worked. I just love that brand. And, uh, you know, the products work incredibly well now, but, um, but, you know, it just really speaks to how much love people have for a brand that it's really important totally. what the values are. And that's really what drives brand purchase. And so while I was at seventh generation, I came into to lead marketing. I took over as a general manager of the business after a couple of years and lead marketing, um, which is a little bit like marking your own homework. So that was a really interesting moment in time, but I enjoyed that a lot. And then after my first five years there, um, the business was sold to Unilever and I stayed on and took over as CEO, which was, a, a, again, a, a really a great opportunity to continue to lead a brand I was super passionate about that had a huge opportunity to do good in the world. And being part of Unilever, we thought, you know, this is an opportunity to go from impacting millions of people in United States to potentially billions of people around the world, which you know, I'd like to say that um, that we were able to do. So that was the path to CEO, and then this this latest assignment I've been at Sabra for um, it'll be two years in August. Um, it's been a really amazing opportunity, and you know I really love the ability to uh, to to lead a business, and but always putting the um, putting people, the humans, at the uh, at the center of what we're trying to do, and and I think that's. You know, as you think about how one transitions from the world of marketing to the world of, of the CEO, you know, I think marketing teaches you how to put people at the center of your strategy. Um, you know, and also I've always seen marketing as a means to leading a business, um, not just about creating great communications, but about really leading and growing a business. So I think this well, can we talk about that? Because I think that's such a crux of like, Marketing Vanguard is meant to sort of spotlight the the CMOs, and yes, certainly CEOs, but the CMOs who connect the dots. And it's through their decisions that they're not not only driving brand growth, but business growth. And so talk a little bit about that, because you have that mindset around, you know, marketing being a business driver, it sounds like Absolutely. foundationally and fundamentally. 
How did you acquire that mindset? Like, what was it about your your previous experiences that caused that to really click in your mind and have it be so, it seems like it's just so ingrained in you. But I don't think all CEOs think that way necessarily mm. of how truly foundational and fundamental marketing needs to be to driving business growth. I still think there's some of that siloed mentality, unfortunately, and thinking of it as a cost center as opposed to an investment. Mm. How did you get to that place? Uh, what were the experiences that you had that got you there? I would say that from from the very beginning of my career, um, I don't think I ever wanted to be a marketer. I always wanted to lead a business. I always wanted to grow businesses and and do really interesting things um, in, in, in the spirit of growing a business. So for me, business was always about creating value, creating growth. Um, but the center of that is really understanding human needs and understanding how you can meet human needs through the, the, the products that are being made, how you communicate with people, how you provide innovation that people want to, um, want to adopt as part of the way that, that they live. And so those two things for me from day one have always been integral. You know, I, I remember the first time, and I'm kind of embarrassed in hindsight to say it, but my first, um, my first kind of real job um, beyond running my own car cleaning business was a summer internship at, at P&G. And um, I had no idea who P&G was, but I remember being in the recruiting <laughs> office in, the, um, in, in my college and reading this, this description of a summer brand assistant. And I said, wow, that, as I read through it, I mean, obviously they talked about the brands and I recognized all of the brands, but I had no idea who Procter & Gamble was. Um, <laughs> And they, but they, what they when they described what a brand assistant does is it, it it was for somebody who knew that they wanted to be in business. It was exactly the kinds of things you needed to be doing to be able to run an effective business. And that's been my mindset literally from you know from my first summer internship at uh, mm. P What did you study marketing in college, or what was your educational background? Um, I I was in I, I did an undergraduate business degree. It wasn't a concentration in marketing at all. Again, I. You know, I, I think I learned a lot. I did two summer internships actually with PNG. I guess I failed the first one, so I had to do a second. <laughs> um, but uh, I, so I did two summer internships. Where I learned so much about marketing. Used my time in business school to learn about everything else. So yeah, that's um, you know, so from great. Capital markets to um, operations to people management. Um, so it was a it was a very broad general management business degree, which which at that school was was what they focused on. When did you first manage a P&L? I would say from day one, because as you go into a company like P&G, you're, you know, as a brand leader, <clears throat> you're charged with managing a P&L. And mm -hmm. so you may not have control over all of the levers, but mm -hmm. you're at the center of working on pricing. You're at the center of working on product design, um, where cost is an incredibly important component of it, identifying how much marketing support needs to go into the business and probably don't have a lot of leverage over the um, over overhead, you know, probably very little um, to say over overhead, but the brand economics, like literally from, from day one as an intern to when I started That's working right. in on, on businesses. And so I think that mindset was built in right from the very beginning. And then mm -hmm. one of my you know, I think most interesting experiences was working on expanding Sunny Delight in Europe and really creating oh, wow. a business, you know, in many ways from from the scratch. And so mm -hmm. that was also very early on in my in my PNG career. Um, mm -hmm. Interestingly, when I when I left PNG, it was to go to Molson 
um, to work on this iconic brand in Canada um, and work on how to expand the business around the world. And I did M&A work for them as well as innovation work. And all of that is 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 all about the, to- the business in total. And, you know, whereas marketing is an important part of it, but but one part of it, not, not the whole thing. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because, um, you know, you started at one of the world's biggest CPG companies, bar none, except Unilever. You ended up working for Unilever ultimately, but you went in through a, a smaller, more emerging company. And it's interesting that you went from like, you know, behemoth, but now you're at these companies that I would argue are um, uh, slightly smaller, perhaps more entrepreneurial, um, you know, even um, even disruptive, right? I mean, like just having a personality, having a voice, having a role to play that, um, you know, in both those cases, Seventh Generation and, and Sabra, it's like, they are just, it feels like from an outsider's perspective, just so focused on just keep to your knitting, like focus on the things and why you matter and sort of why you're different and why these consumers that you focus on and know so well should opt for them over anything else. You know, and I don't know, I just see that uh, from a macro level as an interesting path that you've taken. It feels like maybe that entrepreneurial aspect is also of interest to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as a leader. I would say that throughout my career, I was always seeking out entrepreneurial opportunities. So even mm-hmm. at my time at P&G, I mean, one of my favorite things was starting up a Sunny Delight business, which was um, which was quite entrepreneurial. Starting it up in Europe, yeah. obviously, it had existed for a long time in the U.S., um, totally. And when I was at Diageo working on um, the rum business, the rum business is a very small part of their total business. And mm-hmm. it was so much fun to be able to take you know, businesses that had been established in the U.S. and turn them into global into global brands. And so hugely entrepreneurial. But my move to seventh generation was really intentional because there was, I was looking for two things. I wanted to do something that had impact in the world um, that was going to make the world a better place or help make the world a better place. Um, and I wanted to do something where um, it was more entrepreneurial, where I could feel my impact more directly. And I really yeah. enjoyed being in that smaller entrepreneurial environment. It was you know, an amazing opportunity to lead that business as it became part of the Unilever portfolio. What was, what was great, the Unilever team was so excited about seven generation, it, living its values, it hopefully having uh, infecting the host we always talked about. Um, mm-hmm. So it having a bigger impact on Unilever, but um, they were really protective of wanting us to, to to run it like it was, and so I love that. It was uh, you know, an incredible opportunity to lead a relatively entrepreneurial business, um, you know, and at some point inside a much much bigger operation. And and Sabra has been a, an incredible opportunity. I mean, I, I came to Sabra because it, there's a great fit with my own personal purpose. Um, I, I think there's a, a just an amazing opportunity. When you look at, at where Sabra sits, we've got a world that's in need of healthier, better for you food um, that needs businesses that are committed to to doing things that will address the climate crisis. Crisis, not just you know, not just managing their own impact. Mediterranean as a as a food is hot um, and growing at an incredible mm-hmm. rate, and mm-hmm. people aren't eating three square meals a day in the way that they once were. And I think Sabra sits right in the middle of, of all those different trends. Yeah, in a in a business that I think can can have a really positive impact on the world, and so it was a really nice opportunity for me to to go f- you know into another business in the world of food, which I hadn't yet worked in, um, and be able to to work on a, a business that had that, that can have real real impact. 
Huge. I mean, that listen, the hummus market is just off the charts. I mean, it's been something that has become a mainstay of the American diet, you know, what, over the last five, 10 years in a, in a really powerful way. And Sabra's, I haven't looked at the numbers, frankly, but it's it's always seems far and away out there yeah. much beyond the competition. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely the leader in, in, uh, in that category. category. And, and really, you know, built it over, actually over 30 years. Um, yeah. It's been a, a long trajectory, but you're right. It's uh, you can you can really see and feel it these days. It dominates. Um, so my next question is about um, and and granted, you've already shared with us that uh, in, when you're at the time of getting your internship, you had no idea who P and G was. Yeah, so it's kind of that's, 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 that's sharing a good secret. <laughs> <that> well, <laughs> no, I love it because my question was going to be the next question is, you know, we all. Um, Right or wrong, we are represented by the social profiles we put out into the world. Um, but tell me something about yourself that nobody would ever know by looking at your LinkedIn profile. Um, it's a good question. I, I would say, it, I mean, arguably, maybe you could discern it from my profile because of the businesses I've worked on. But, you know, I, I lead with passion. I, I lead with my heart out in front. I love to spark off of people. I, I really love working with people. And, you know, I, I think... You know, what I uniquely bring to the world is just being able to connect dots and mm. uh, help people take their ideas and build them into something that could be bigger and bigger and, and, and better and hopefully have a lasting impact on the world. And, you know, what I hope is that people actually be able to read out of my, my profile that, that I'm, I'm always leading with purpose. I'm really trying to connect my purpose to the businesses that I'm leading. And, you know, frankly, as I said, that's what, that's what drew me to Sabra. Mm-hmm. Um, we... We learn so we hear so much from C- CMOs about their successes, right? The times they've hit hit balls out of the park, and they've just had s- such great. You know, there there are an endless number of great case studies. But you know, I've talked to CMOs who are like, I need to hear the stories of failure. I need to hear the stories of mistakes. I need to hear the stories of how people learned from choosing not to do something, because it's through those less you know those experiences that I think we learn the most and grow the most. And, you know, we're all making mistakes. So is there an example of a time when you made a mistake or didn't make a choice or there was a misstep that you look back on it now and you're like, ah, so that's what I learned from that. That was, you know, that was quite a moment, but what a learning opportunity. You know, I think I would say I probably fail every day in some way. Um, And one of the things I try to do is, is, is be a hungry learner and learn Every single day, if I can learn something, you know, in a course of a day that I can then reapply in the days ahead of me, for me, that's a really great day um, because nobody is perfect. And, you know, we all mess things up in, in one way, shape or time. If, if there was a consistent pattern for me, it's probably when I try to take on too much. I love mm-hmm. doing lots of different things. Um, and the... Um, the times where I've probably messed it up the most has been when just trying to do way too much all at the same time, as opposed to getting focused on the wooden big thing. And by contrast, I would say um, choices are incredibly important. Um, having a really strong strategy, a really strong mission um, that helps you have a very clear North Star so you can choose what you do and what you don't do. It really is the difference um, between success and failure in my experience, rather than being able to try to do too many things. But 
Yep. Now, flip side, you know, and the literal meaning of vanguard is, you know, a group of people who, through their ideas and actions, are actually um, causing change to happen. What are some examples or an example that you're most proud of that you feel has just literally moved the ball, either in your industry or your category or in the company itself? I think um, where where we've been able to really dig in, and, and it's it, it's I wouldn't ever say it's just me. It's it's always the team. Um, who is who's being able to really um, dig in closely, understand people, understand motivators, and then translating that that unique understanding into really powerful business strategies. Um, I remember, you know, as an example, I remember one of one of the early strategies that that we worked through at Seven Generation was um, actually started as I as I came in. One of the things that was really obvious was that the brand's packaging was horrible. Um, it looked, you know, like it was very private label esque. This is 2011, um, yeah. and there's a big opportunity, in my view, to um, to. I hope you have a pa- an old package, by the way, sitting in your office, so you can always. It's always fun to look back on how far we've come. So I hope yeah. you. Ha- I saw. Hope you saved one. <laughs> I, I didn't, but it is funny because I was in a bodega in New York the other day, and I think I saw like four generations of seven generation packaging all on the same shelf. Oh my God. <laughs> But um, anyways, that's a different story. But, you know, in, in, in this example, um, um, <clears throat> what we what we saw, there was actually a lot of energy as I came in. Um, people were really excited about, oh, we need to make packaging that's more beautiful than Method because Method is incredibly beautiful packaging. And that's what Seven Generation needs. And the team went away. They did a ton of work. They created all this packaging. Some of it was unbelievably beautiful, like way more beautiful than Method, in my opinion. And some of it was way closer to where the conventional brands were. And when we talked to, con- to consumers, what we learned was actually, if you make a dish bottle look like a conventional dish bottle, but you tell your story, I'll actually yeah. believe it'll work better. Um, and when you design it to be really fancy, I'm not so sure that it's going to work. And we defined our strategy really, really carefully as um, really trying to bring people in from the big conventional brands into uh, into seventh generation, getting a ten percent share of the green market was never an effective strategy. It was always, you know, I want ten percent of the big conventional markets, and so that that insight led to real clarity on the strategy around um, ensuring that we were making it easy for people to buy into the proposition. And a big part of that is, you know, actually, you know, understanding that it's going to work. And the products were formulated brilliantly; um, they're incredibly powerful products, but. The way that you dress the the, the product um, made a huge difference in terms of um, helping people believe and understand that this is going to get the job done, which is critically important. You know, totally. it's, it's good for some people you know, to have um, products that don't work, but not for most. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and true. So, but I think that, I think that at the core of that story is just like really understanding what the what the job to be done is. And then designing everything around that. So if you know that you're trying to grow the business by sourcing from big conventional brands, it goes into your packaging. It speaks to what you do in your marketing, what your promotional programming needs to look like. It, it really runs through through the entire line, the conversations you're having with retailers. And you know, I, I think that clarity really is enabling you to build a whole system around a single insight. That, that drives growth. And I would say that we're doing something similar at Sobra, getting just really clear about what it is that we need to do, where the big opportunity lies. Um, one of the things that fascinated me as I came into Sabra was that, believe it or not, 
uh, 85% of people who eat Sabra only buy it two and a half times a year. Uh, that's crazy. It blows my mind because most of the people totally. that I know, um, you know, in my family, you know, I came to Sabra. I love Sabra. We've been a long time buyers of Sabra. Um, but most people I know, we did it all the time. It has permanent residence in the fridge. And yet for here. <laughs> yet for 85% of people, they, they, they see it as an occasional party dip. They'll, you know, maybe they buy it when they're having people over for the Super Bowl and one other time in the year. And so knowing the job to be done is to get people to see this as a more regular part of their everyday diet is a huge category growth opportunity. I mean, forget about growing market share. I'm much more interested in building the category because as the category leader will benefit from that. Um, and so everything we're doing is, is aligned around, okay, well, how does our communications, our pack sizing and pricing and innovation and marketing all align to be able to, to um, get more permanent residents and more fridges? I mean, the health piece is so massive. Like if I think about something that's high protein, low fat, you know, nutritious, you know, I, I much rather dip a, a celery stick into that than peanut butter. You know what I mean? I, I just, it's, it naturally feels like such the correct and um, best alternative as a snacking option. Um, True. But on a day -to -day basis. I, I think, I, I think you're a hundred percent right. And for a lot of people, they don't know how delicious it is. And so they may, they may understand fully what you're saying. Um, and yet they want to eat. You're not trading taste. Night, yeah. Right. And mm -hmm. so how do yeah. we ensure that we're holding ourselves to a really high standard that the, the things that we create are things that are just going to absolutely delight people and, you know, want to, want to be something that they want to pull out of the fridge every day. I love that. I love that. And it is de absolutely delicious. Um, and uh, that's just Jenny talking. So well, I <laughs> appreciate your endorsement. I love it. <laughs> I am a, I am an enthusiastic consumer. But anyway, um, you mentioned your team. It's a team effort, and I I do like asking this question. I ask this question of CMOs because I do think C-suite dynamics are really interesting. Now that you know, I'm talking to you as a CEO. You know, who would you identify as the person that you're most working in lockstep with the person that you just absolutely need to be hundred percent aligned with all the time um, to, to be successful in your role. Yeah. Well, hundred percent of the team, there's no one person. Um, I, I really think about the team um, as a, as an orchestra, everybody has a instrument to play and they've got, <clears throat> they've got their sheet music. Um, and so they need to do their own individual things, but it all needs to work together to create um, a beautiful sound. And so I work really closely with um, my CFO, my head of HR, uh, my uh, head of, of R&D operations, quality. I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm in constant contact with, with everybody on the team all the time. It may drive me crazy, but, um, <laughs> but I really do think that um, I go to where, where I'm needed and where I can help the most. And generally, that's by unleashing people to do what they do best. Um, and then hopefully just challenging their thinking and raising the bar constantly. Do you have a CMO or a head of marketing, or are you taking that role because of your expertise and, and no, uh, background? No, no, I've always I've always had a head of marketing. Yep, got it. Um, so let's talk a little bit about inspiration. I love this question around inspiration because um, you know CMOs I've talked to say of all the things they have to put their minds around, um, just being inspired continually is such an important um, feed that they need. Um, where do you go? 
for inspiration and that creativity and that creativity unlock that I'm sure you're still as CEO applying every day? Yeah, I, I go to a whole bunch of places. I, I really see a big part of my role is bringing the outside into the organization. And yeah. so I, I find inspiration in all sorts of different places. So I, I find inspiration when I'm walking in stores and you know, going into a, a, a really small, cool, natural shop um, and seeing what, what's hot and what's new and what's different. I see inspiration. Um, I try to talk to different chefs and understand what they're looking at and um, what they see as emerging trends. Um, mm-hmm. I had an amazing- and there are there are artisans in them in themselves. Oh. I mean, there are artists that are. Yeah, yeah. A- a- absolutely, absolutely. I've um, developed a nice friendship with um, with a chef who also lives in in Manhattan, um, and I'm I'm totally inspired by him every time uh, every time we speak, and so cool. um, he's been amazing and. I had an incredible opportunity to go to Israel in the fall, and uh, we did um, a hummus tour. We were able to eat hummus for breakfast, lunch, and dinner in in all these different ways. Um, And then you walk into a store and you see all these different ways that that hummus can be presented. I mean, that's a a very narrow um, example, but all of those things bring bring inspiration back into into the business and, and how I think. Um, and I just try to read as much as I can and learn. And you know, as I said, I love to connect the dots, but I, I find inspiration everywhere. In, uh, you know, we, marketers talk about metrics all the way, all the time and data. Um, what are the metrics that matter to you as CEO and those that matter to your marketing team and board? And in that vi- Venn diagram, where do they connect? I mean, ultimately, marketing needs to drive growth in the business. Um, and so... As I, as I look at marketing programs, I'm always asking the question, uh, how can we prove that when we are investing in this specific thing or understanding which things we invest in have the biggest impact on growth and then create the business case behind it? Um, as, a, as a blunt tool, I would say that's probably the most important thing. I'm a, bigger, I'm a big believer in, in more for more. So show me that the marketing is going to deliver the growth that we need, show me the business case behind it. I'm very happily be able to spend more and more money in the marketing if it's going to create the growth that we're looking for inside the business. And then I would say that the next level below that may be as I as we look at um, uh, metrics, the example I gave around Sabra, not just looking at household penetration, but, but looking at how frequently people are buying products. Ultimately, it's very it's relatively easy to get people to try something once. It's much more difficult mm-hmm. to, to get them to adopt it and to purchase it regularly over time. Mm-hmm. And the only businesses that survive are those that get very regular repeat rates. Um, that make it that make their product habitual, exactly. right? It just some, yeah, yeah. It would make it a, make it habitual or not habitual, but a regular part of their of their of the mm-hmm. pur- purchase routines. Um, we saw that really specifically in beverages. Um, that if you're not in the top three or four different drinks that people are consistently drinking, it's it's hard to to uh, to, to to create a sustainable business or very expensive. Um, and so I really try to understand repeat rates um, and to really understand if you've got an idea that's really sticky that people are going to want to come back to over and over and over again. We'll be back with more marketing Vanguard after this quick break. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, Joey, let me ask you this. Um, you know, purpose... Seventh generation and the start of our conversation, you were talking about how um, some people just bought the bought seventh generation, not because it worked, <laughs> you know, I mean, and they had uh, such a love for the purpose, the mission and the ethos of seventh generation. I would argue that that's like, that's baked in. I mean, that from the ground up is what seventh generation's has had that purpose platform built in. I think even at P&G and you having worked at P&G, we've seen over time and frankly decades and generations, uh, P&G brands find their purpose where it might not have been there in quite the same um, deliberate way in earlier generations. I'm just going to put that out there for sake of argument, but they adopted successfully that purpose play or that p- positioning or that platform. Seventh generation is something that I would argue has been there from the start. Um, Sabra is probably somewhere in the middle, perhaps. Like, how do you think about managing or overseeing or leading a brand that has both that that baked in um, foundational purpose platform? How do you uh, flip side lead a brand that's seeking to find that platform? Well, I think in both cases, it's about articulating what the purpose or what the mission of the business is. What's the change you're trying to create in the world? Uh, even in seventh generation, it, for sure, it was baked in at the very beginning. But how do you articulate it in a way that helps you make choices, that helps you decide what you do and what you don't do, was was really important um, and drove a lot of choices. At Sabra, we spent my first six months, we spent a lot of time doing work on defining the company purpose, uh, which we defined as uniting and delighting the world around planet positive food. So uniting, it brings people together. Hummus is this amazing yeah. food that comes largely out of the Middle East, that Mediterranean area, where it crosses all these different cultures that don't agree on a lot of things, but somehow a lot of them are eating a lot of hummus. Um, <laughs> and we think there's a real power to bring people together around. Community it. around that. Yeah, yeah that's so cool. Um, and we know that we're making food that is planet positive. But as we think about planet positive, we think about how do we impact and, and nurture the body with good, healthy, clean food? How do we nurture the soul and creating an environment inside the company that, um, that, that where there's a culture of inclusivity where people can thrive regardless of race, religion, gender, sex, uh, sexual orientation. Um, and then how do we ensure that we're, that we're nurturing the ecosystems that we're part of by managing mm-hmm. our carbon footprint, our waste footprint, packaging, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but getting real clarity around what's the change that we think we can create in the world is, is, is a really important thing to do. And I agree that every business, every business that's been successful has been set up with a purpose in mind, yeah. right? Because you're ultimately you're solving a problem for somebody. 
of course, or providing of them course. with a benefit and really yeah, understanding totally. what it is that people are seeking and being able to to articulate that really does help in terms of making those decisions. Um, and as I've said, deciding what you do and, and, and sometimes more powerfully what you don't do. Maybe this will bring comfort to people. It's, you know, it's a, it's a difficult time right now, right? The economy and there's, you know, there's a lot going on that I think um, people are challenged with and by, and I arguably that's always the case, right? I mean, there's always things that, um, um, that create challenge right now. The price of things is so high and, um, you know, I mean, some consumers are really um, finding this a difficult time. As a consequence, I think a lot of businesses are finding this a difficult time as well, as far as marketing budgets and things like that. And um, so the question against the background of that, but in general, is what what do you fear as a business leader? You know, what's the thing that keeps you up at night? And I'm sure you've gotten that question before. But, you know, again, I open or I ask that question of CMOs. And I asked them, what do you do to overcome that fear? And as a CEO, I'd, I'd love to hear your answer to that question as well. Ultimately, I'd say that my biggest fear is not taking enough risk. Um, Interesting. And, you know, and, I, and I don't use risk in the way of informed risk, obviously, but um, yep. I think the biggest outcomes come when you when you take bold risk, where you identify something that you really believe in and then you get behind it with full force. And um, you don't. It's not always obvious where you want to take where you want to take the risk um, and what mm-hmm. risks are worth taking. And so my biggest fear is, you know, have we identified the things that we really want to double down and, and bet on in a big way? Are those you know are those the right things? And are we taking a big enough bet to be able to have a big enough outcome? Even in these times, which is interesting. Yeah, I, I don't think you ever win by playing defense. I think you only win by playing offense. Love that. A um, couple more questions. It's funny you bring up the offense-defense. As a leader, uh, imagine for a second you're a player on a soccer field. And I ask this question because I'm a big soccer fan and played it myself. Are you the striker? Do you play up at the front line trying to score the goals? Are you at midfield trying to kind of be that connective tissue between the strikers and, and the defensive line? Or are you at the back protecting the goal at all costs from any other opposition coming in and scoring? Well, I don't play soccer. I did, I did coach my daughter's soccer team once. There you go. That's all. Was, that qualifies. Which, yeah, <laughs> which, was, um, which was a lot of fun for me and but thankfully, they were young enough that I guess it didn't really matter because it was just about having a lot of fun. But I am a skier, and I do love mountain biking. So let me ask, can I answer your question differently? A hundred percent. And I love asking this question because some people, just like you, they, okay, I'm, I'm fine with a sports analogy, but let me use this sport. Yeah. So yes, so whatever have, you feel comfortable so with. I've got a different analogy. And this is um, um, something I learned from uh, one of the biggest leadership lessons ever. I learned from my dentist, who happens to be one of my best friends. <laughs> no way, that's so great. <laughs> it was, um, we were mountain biking, uh, and uh, it was one of the first times I ever went mountain biking. He had, you know, he had an extra bike I had borrowed. And so we're, we're coming down this, this, um, this mountain on my bike, as you do on, when you're mountain biking, and I hit a tree. Um, and he said to me, oh, I forgot to tell you, never look at the tree. You always look in between the trees. And it was genius. And I love skiing. I've skied since I was like a five-year-old kid. Um, and I love skiing the trees. And it's actually the exact same thing. You never look at the tree. Because if you look at the tree, you're going to hit it. If you look between the trees, then you never hit it. 
and what I what I realized in that moment was it's actually a brilliant leadership lesson because if you're always looking ahead um, and you're not looking at the obstacles, that's that's how you win. That's how you you create real growth oh and gosh. real value. And I uh, love that so, so much. So for me, that's you know how how I think about sports. I always try to keep my eyes up and and looking looking ahead and you know keeping my feet firmly planted on the ground with my knees bent so I can absorb whatever comes at me but never looking at the obstacles um just 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 going ahead oh my goodness that's so inspirational i've never heard that before uh and i'm going to that's going to stick with me now forever so thank you well you should be I'm my sure dentist that- he's a pretty awesome guy <laughs> Oh my God. Well, based on that smile, he does some exquisite work. So, (laughs) oh my gosh, that's awesome. Um, Joey, this has been such a pleasure. Uh, One of the things we do with Marketing Vanguard is uh, we ask, we ask our guests at the end, you know, who's next and sort of a pay it forward uh, spirit of pay it forward. What other business leader or CMO uh, should we talk to and should we invite on to the Marketing Vanguard podcast? Um. It, there's there's a, a business leader. He's not a CMO. Um, Greg Behrman is the founder and CEO of Nationswell. I don't know if you're familiar with Nationswell, but it is an awesome organization. And Greg is an unbelievably inspirational human. What he's been doing with Nationswell is just bringing people together, um, bringing innovators and pioneers together um, who are really have trying to have an impact on on the world around them. He they create. Mm-hmm. A combination of forms for business leaders just to connect. You asked me actually earlier about where I find inspiration. This is actually one of the places I found the most inspiration is he just puts such interesting and unexpected people together for just great conversation. Oh, I love and that. And they do a ton of really good work um, in helping companies do storytelling about the impact that they're having in the world. And, What's his last name again, please? Uh, Greg Behrman. Okay, fantastic. Um, I love, I love that. Um, and I love learning about new companies and new people. So thank you for that. Um, Joey, this has been great. Thank you for joining me on the marketing Vanguard podcast. Uh, I look forward to reaching out to Greg and I look forward to staying in touch with you, uh, as I, as I watch the cyber story forward. So thank you so much. Jenny, it was so much fun talking to you. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Marketing Vanguard, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Jordan Pretano, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Lane McGibney at Batwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Thanks for listening.